I'm going to step off the limb. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Today on Young Nostalgia, we talk about the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon landing and the legacy it left behind throughout pop culture. Let's take a look. Hello and welcome back to Young Nostalgia. I'm Nolan. As always, Ben is beside me on a wider-than-life desk called The Internet that never fails unless you have Time Warner Cable or Spectrum, and then you just podcast into thin air. Ben, how you doing, big guy? It's good to be back. <laughs> oh, I'm doing pretty good. It's uh, it's wonderful to be back for uh, two, count them, two weeks in a row. I think we're That's, kind, oh my kind of hitting a record. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think Young Nostalgia has ever counted that high since 2017 <laughs> when we had pre-recorded shows. <laughs> yeah, we used to be so good at uh so good at uh you know being on time and and putting everything out and then it just it went downhill so so fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, uh Ben had a kid. Uh well now. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know where that bit was going, but it was not going to end anywhere funny. So I'll just stop it right there. Um, It's really good to be back. Uh, Everything has gone really well with our transition into Anchor for our podcast host. Uh, The only hiccup was our own fault uh, today where we had our uh, audio library and I was like, oh, we don't need this clouding up our uh, storage space. So I deleted the last episode and apparently it just deleted it entirely. So I had to re-upload that audio. Uh, episode 63 was still out there for a little bit, but it had nothing to it. So you were going to listen to about 43 minutes of absolute nothing. <laughs> so, yeah, go ahead and, you know, you can re-download that and pump the numbers up a little bit. We don't mind. Right. That's actually the reason why we did that. Uh, so what's, what's cool about Anchor is that it actually estimates our audience, and we are at about 15, <laughs> uh, and three of those are me. So... <laughs> Uh, it's like really funny, so but we're, really we're depressing it, at the same time. <laughs> we're killing it. I absolutely love it. It is so good to be back. Um, as we talked about uh, a little bit, and um, as you heard in the beginning, we will be uh, talking about Apollo 11, the first landing on the moon back in 1969. The 50th anniversary will be coming up on July 20th of this month, um, and there's uh, obviously some commemorate and celebrations going on, but we're going to be talking about kind of an overview of just the moon landing itself, the crew, the personnel that took place, as well as the long-lasting legacy of the moon landing itself. So I think we're super excited to get get into it and talk about it. Uh, hopefully we don't act and it's not long-winded. We are going to try and breeze through this as we usually do, but that means you're going to be here for about two and a half hours. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's we, we, could, we could very easily, you know, turn a, a moon landing show into a pretty much, you know, 24-7 live stream. Right. But if you'd like, you can just hit those links in the show description and turn off the podcast and just read the Wikipedia links that we put because we take everything from there. (laughs) Let's get into it, shall we? (laughs) 
right, so we're going to be kicking off with the uh, crew of Apollo 11, um, starting with the commander, Neil Armstrong, probably the most well-known out of the astronauts on there. Michael Collins was the command module pilot, and Edwin Buzz Aldrin Jr. was the lunar modular pilot. So Armstrong was actually given in the beginning while they were doing training and preparations the opportunity to switch out Aldrin with James Lovell, who Lovell would actually eventually command Apollo 13 and became a nationally known hero for his calmness and command while the Apollo 13 disaster was occurring. So that was kind of interesting how uh, in the beginning Lovell could have been one of the uh, first on the moon um, and obviously that uh, opportunity was stripped from him due to um, the disaster on Apollo 11 but uh, actually what Aldrin um, excuse me what Armstrong said is that he felt that Lovell was so skilled and well respected that he needed a command uh, needed to command an Apollo mission himself so that's why he was put on Apollo 13 uh, a couple years later. Well, that's pretty interesting. I guess I didn't really know the backstory behind that. What what a <clears throat> right. That is kind of a an odd situation. Um, you know, that'd be kind of a hard judgment call to make uh, at the time. You know, like ah, do I switch or do I not switch? You know, um, <clears throat> looking back on it, yeah, I would have to agree. You know, that's a uh, sticking with it. You know how it actually turned out. You know. Aside from, you know, issues with Apollo 13, which are more or less uh, unforeseeable, um, but it'd be kind of hard to imagine any other way. Right. Absolutely. And this, if this gonna gives you a little bit more insight on how this opportunity came up for Lovell to be on Apollo 11, um, uh, talking about the history uh, of the crew itself. So the Apollo 11 prime crew, which was Armstrong, Collins, and uh, Aldrin, mm-hmm. um, had none of the close, cheerful camaraderie that actually characterized that of Apollo 12 and Apollo 13. Instead, they forged an amiable working relationship. Armstrong, in particular, was notoriously aloof, but Collins, who considered himself a loner, <laughs> confessed to rebuffing Aldrin's attempts to create a more personal relationship. Uh, Aldrin and Collins described the crew as amiable strangers, and they're pretty much there on professional terms. Uh, later in a documentary, Ar- when, Ar- when Armstrong was asked the same thing, he actually believed that uh, their relationship was pretty friendly and pretty good. Um, but overall, I feel like they weren't hanging out for brats and burgers <laughs> and beer at the end of the day. <laughs> Which I... I don't know. Like I, I can easily see it. Uh, I can see it on both sides of the coin. Like, you know, it, it would on the surface, it seems odd that, you know, such a uh, impacting mission, you know, something as stressful as that, you know, these guys, they had the, I won't say cold relationship, but it like it was a, you know, a working relationship that that makes it seem a little bit weird. But looking at it from the other side, it's you know, like everything has to be super, super serious. Um, and you know, it's the first time someone's going to be stepping on the moon. Like it's not time to be, uh, you know, it's, you're not there to have fun. You're there to do a job, you know? Right. Right. And be exact. I mean, we talked a little bit about, uh, the microphones are hot, how we were, like the magnitude of the mindset you have to have to be in this situation to accept the mission. You know, once you're strapped in and they and they close that module door, there ain't no going back. No, absolutely not. You know, and it's it's. I'm kind of glad we had that conversation. Well, I, I wish we were recording it, but uh, uh, either way, I'm glad we had that that conversation about uh, 
just the 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 intense stress that you know someone would be going through in that situation we we had kind of expanded a little bit too just to talk about space exploration in general not just armstrong collins and aldrin uh we talked about you know especially john glenn scott carpenter um you know just the the guys that you know you you pretty much have to make peace with yourself that you know, this is kind of uncharted territory and I, there's a very good chance that I'm never coming back, you know, and then you still, you still go up there and you get the job done. Terrifying, man. Mm -hmm. Uh, All right. Rounding out just a brief overview. Apollo lunar module Eagle uh, landed on the moon on July 20th of 1969 at about 817 PM central time, 917 Eastern time. If you're uh, over there with uh, Ben, here I am in good old Nebraska (laughs) central time. Gotta love it. Um, Armstrong became the first person to step onto the lunar surface six hours later on July 21st at 256 AM. And it's kind of crazy how, you know, they land the lunar module six hours earlier, but they don't actually go out onto the surface until six hours after they land. That's kind of crazy. I mean, obviously, there's a lot to prepare. You know, you have to get uh, the rover or uh, collection items. So uh, once you, like, also your spacesuit, make sure everything's checked off and safety checklists are good to go, obviously, because of uh, going out there. Because, I mean, sure, you're not going to just step out there and be like, oh, no, I forgot my keys. Let me go back into the module. Like, no, you're not coming back out. And you have to make sure you have to make sure you take that piss before going out because I don't think those suits have uh, have any zippers in them. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, so there's a lot to prepare I'm for. I'm quite sure that they did not. Um, yeah, I mean, this, I, I can't imagine the amount of checking and rechecking. And now, okay, I checked it and re- double-checked this. Here, somebody else check it and then recheck it you know the the all the different steps the procedure to making a moonwalk uh possible let alone getting ready in such a incredibly cramped environment in a in a uh in a low gravity environment like that as well i mean there to these guys there couldn't have been any this had to be the most foreign environment to work in ever. I mean, you can do all the simulations uh, you want. You, you can you can do everything on Earth possible to simulate that scenario. But you know, it's it's there's got to be nothing like you know the real thing landing on the moon and uh, feeling the the low gravity. So you're you're trying to do stuff that takes a long time anyway. Now you're trying to do it in an extremely cramped environment in a in a in a, uh, conditions that you're not necessarily used to. Right. Your body right. physically not adapted to operate in those conditions. Right. Right. In total, uh, they were on the moon surface for 21 hours. I think just over 21 hours. Um, and why will that, why, while, uh, Aldrin and Armstrong were down on the surface. Michael Collins was flying the command module Columbia down in lunar orbit while they were on the moon's surface, um, kind of circling the moon for that amount of time. I mean, I mean, I, my heart goes out. I mean, obviously, Collins had a very important job, but uh, dang, going around and seeing Aldrin and Armstrong down on the Earth's surface, and here you are just, you know, eating a uh, Uncrustable up in Columbia, like that sucks. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know. I I've thought about that before too. Like, you know, what sort of 
what sort of job selection method did everybody go through? And I, I realized that it, it wasn't necessarily that it was about, uh, you know, your rank and experience and, you know, who's best for the actual job. But I, I like to think about it like, you know, what kind of uh, right. sour deal did Collins get not being able to go down to the moon surface? <laughs> <laughs> right. And Apollo 11 actually came to be one of the uh, the first ever Apollo missions to uh, have a successful flight with um, all of the crew members being their second flight into space. So this was no first timer going into space on, on the Apollo 11 mission, which was hugely, I feel like, significant um, in the success of the mission. Oh, yeah, that's true. I completely forgot about that. Uh, so, yeah, these guys, okay, they did have a, at least a little somewhat experience um, um, in space that I, I had completely forgotten about. Right. I love yep. it. All right. Well, uh, uh, if you have anything else to add, uh, we will transition into the public legacy and public uh, reception of the success of Apollo 11. Uh, ben will take it away. <laughs> All right, we're back. I'm glad the transitions are actually working today and not uh, waiting 30 seconds to play out. Uh, that was fantastic. Uh, <laughs> ben, what you got, big guy? So, of course, I mean, this being the moon landing, the mission was extensively covered in the press. Um, that means over 53 million households tuned in to watch uh, the Apollo 11 mission on TV and over 530 million viewers worldwide watched the moon landing. Uh, which turns out to be roughly 20% of the Earth's population. And that, I mean, that's just, that's mind-blowing. You know, especially at this time period where it's uh, the the world, the East and West, has had a little bit of division uh, during the Cold War. <clears throat> this broke the previous record for the most viewers and launched the Apollo 11 coverage to be the most watched TV programming up to that date. Gosh. That's awesome. Yeah, which is not, I mean, you know, following all of those numbers up with, you know, Apollo 11 coverage of the most watched TV programming up to date. And I mean, that kind of, it's, at that point, it's not really that surprising. Like, it's 20% of the Earth's population. That's that's amazing. <clears throat> right. Right. It is. And just, like, imagine that not everyone is on the same time frame, you know? Mm -hmm. Some people could be up at 4 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning to watch this occur. Like, I feel... I feel that so much anxiety and nerves are going on for not even people connected to the astronauts themselves. But, you know, this is live television. If something happened, 20% of the world would see and witness it. Oh, yeah, of course. And so I'm sure that's, I'm sure that's, in addition to the everything else, that's also weighing on the minds of, of uh, you know, Aldrin, Armstrong, and, and Collins up there. You know, I'm sure that's, kind of a, a lower priority but uh i'm i'm sure that that's that's still in the back of their minds you know anything that whether it's the the littlest thing that gets screwed up uh or you know god forbid that something happens and they're all killed you know that's that's all that's all getting pretty much broadcasted Gosh. live right <clears throat> absolutely terrifying so the U.S. acknowledged the immense success of Apollo 11 with a national day of celebration on Monday, July 21st of 1969. Um, this includes everyone except emergency essential employees 
Um, but they were all allowed a paid day off from work in both government and the private sector. Uh, coincidentally, the last time this had happened was the National Day of Mourning on November 25th, 1963, to observe the state funeral of President JFK, uh, who was the individual to set the political goal to put a man on the moon by the end of the 1960s. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And, you know, that's that's such a uh, that was such a bold promise to make. Um, and then, and then to actually turn around and absolutely, uh, bust it and make that happen. Like that's, that's moving for something of that magnitude. That is, you know, that's, that's not an easy thing to have happen. It takes time, especially back in this time period when there's, uh, you know, you don't have a team of guys, uh, sitting behind computers and doing solid models and simulations on the computer of stuff. You know, it's all getting done for the most part by hand. Right. I just like a part of me, um, you know, not to make light of the entire situation, but <laughs> when JFK gave that famous uh, speech of we're going to put a man on the moon by the 1960s, mm-hmm. I just wish that like I hope that there was a whole bunch of you know NASA employees sitting behind the television and then heard this. <laughs> And then they were like, oh, shit, we got to get working. Oh, my God. Like, they like they weren't expecting him to say this, and then they just freak out. Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. And then, you know, I'm sure there's a bunch of guys uh, guys at work, and, you know, they get on the phone and call home and be like, all right, so going to be working late for probably the next six years. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Uh, oh, a lot man. of OT during that time. Right, right. <laughs> um, a replica of the footprint left by Neil Armstrong is located at Tranquility Park in Houston, Texas. Uh, the park was dedicated in 1979. I don't know, that seems kind of odd that it would take 10 years for, for something uh, that notable to have, you know, a, a park dedicated to it. Well, I guess there could have been other things dedicated to it, but uh, I, guess, I don't know, a park's kind of oddly specific, but. Right. It does seem like a yeah. while. Well, I think it's kind of cool that it's called Tranquility Park as well because uh, the base, when they landed the Luna module, uh, they named Tranquility Base. Mm-hmm. So uh, it kind of makes full circle, which is kind mm-hmm. of neat. Oh, yeah, definitely. <clears throat> All right. Uh, moving on to commercial legacy. Uh, you put Major Tom on here, and I wasn't sure where you're going with that. <laughs> uh, Major Tom. So in July of 1969... Uh, the same month that Apollo 11 was landing on the moon, uh, David Bowie released the song Space Oddity about the fictional astronaut, Major Tom. <clears throat> oh, duh. Oh, my gosh. Well, I could have read on. Well, see, <laughs> this is what happened. He put he put Major Tom, and then there's a page break, and I didn't <laughs> well, I couldn't I didn't tell if you were down. messing with me Major or not, Tom so was... I'm just like, well, I'll just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to keep it going. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, well, might as well keep going, I guess. About fictional astronaut Major Tom, who loses contact with ground control and drifts away. Um, I thought it was a little bit interesting uh, that Bowie actually later claimed that the movie 2001 A Space Odyssey, not the moon landing, was the actual inspiration of the tune. Um, but I don't know. It seems kind of coincidental that not only did it come out the same year, um, but that it came out the same month. Right. You know, I just, 
Could it have actually been about 2001 A Space Odyssey? Yes, but I don't know. I don't think it would have lined up like it. He would, you know, the release date would have changed to a later date or an earlier date. or It was definitely about the moon landing. Yeah. Well, who knows? It could have been a combination of both because who knows when he actually wrote the song, you know? That's true. That's true. Major Tom would return in two other Bowie songs, a remix, and the 1983 Peter Schilling song, Major Tom, Coming Home. Bowie uses space as his setting, but the song is really about alienation. So that's still kind of a more uh, explanation on his his reasoning behind it not being about the moon landing. But I think I, right, right. I think I I know the truth on that. <laughs> uh, so kind of going going forward a little bit more into the commercial legacy left behind behind uh the apollo program or more specifically uh apollo 11 um there was quite a bit of food and drink influences within the commercial sector most notably is oh i love it tang i think i still drink tang to this day do you really yeah (laughs) very i i have and i do drink it occasionally i just i don't drink it very often but I do like I do like Tang and and Tang had been around um, before this. You know, it wasn't like a new thing that that NASA uh, just developed on the spot, um, right? But it had been used actually used by NASA though as early as 1962 by John Glenn aboard the Friendship Seven. Um, so it wasn't anything new, but it kind of it definitely gained a lot of notoriety. Um in 1969 after the moon landing and there was kind of just a a a space craze going on after that no that hit hit everything as far as uh toys and food and pretty much anything that you know could be commercialized uh right commercials for tang actually bragged that it was for earthmen who just don't want to be earthbound I love it. I think like if I if I remember, it was like these old commercials with, uh, you know, it was in like a, a lab, like with uh, lab coats and all this other stuff. And they're doing tests with Tang mm-hmm. and, and you know, very like sci-fi-ish. But well, there, there's just, that like, and then there's brand placement. Everywhere. There's one uh, there's one commercial, too. It's animated. And there's I think there's supposed to be there's supposed to be aliens or something, but they pretty much are just like potatoes with arms and legs and faces. <laughs> and I think yes. I think that's where this quote actually came from. I could be wrong, but I think it was part of that animated commercial. Um, but I've seen clips of it, and it's it's pretty goofy. It's cheesy, but it's great. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's I love it. <laughs> um, an- another big one that uh, we was talked about quite a bit that gained no no <clears throat> wow gained notoriety after the moon landing was Pillsbury space food sticks. And boy, do they sound delicious (laughs) (laughs) used, uh, once again, used as early as 1962 by John Glenn. And again, or, uh, excuse me. And by John Carpenter of the Aurora seven, um, it kind of grew in popularity on the, uh, civilian commercial market after the Apollo 11 mission. Um, and it was, they're pretty much just kind of compacted protein carbohydrate, uh, bars. It's re- it's kind of a, pr- it's a preliminary like 
energy bar is what we would think of today. Very similar. Um, But actually, a year later, in 1970, Pillsbury actually filed a trademark for, quote, non-frozen balance energy snack in rod form containing nutritionally balanced amounts of carbohydrate, fat, and protein, unquote. Um, Which they, (laughs) out of, you know, out of make it a little bit easier, they dubbed them space food sticks. Um, And going along with that, no basis for the use of the term nutritionally balanced was provided. So who knows if they're actually good for you or not. I love that. Right. They just put that in just to sell it. You know, (laughs) mom walks into the store. She's like, oh, this is nutritionally balanced. It would be good for little Johnny after he plays in the sand and uh, breaks his elbow off the swing set. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like pretty much just like all the super sugary cereals, you know, for the morning. Oh, part of a part of a balanced breakfast. I'm like, yeah, okay, if you have one of them and then <laughs> right. And then literally everything else like eggs, meat and whatever like <laughs> there's nothing good right. for you about any of it. <laughs> right. That or just five bowls of the same cereal and absolutely nothing else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> just it sounds horrible. Um okay, so I was like I was talking about a little bit before. A forerunner to energy bars, space food sticks are promoted by Pillsbury for their association with NASA's effort to create a safe healthy and nutritional space food. Um, 1972 astronauts on board Skylab three, ate modified versions of space food stick to test their gastrointestinal compatibility. So we will leave that to the imagination of the listeners to what that is. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't, that might kind of (laughs) allude to, uh, what we were talking about a minute ago about, is it actually healthy for you or not? Right, right. <laughs> Maybe they'll just clean you out. We'll leave it yeah, at that. Yeah, no kidding. All right, you want to take us into uh, the MTV Moon Men statues? Sure, sure. So the uh, famous and well-known uh, MTV labeling brand of Moon Men statues is one of the earliest promos for MTV, uh, showed an astronaut planting MTV's flag, declaring that the music channel had indeed landed. So when the network started the MTV Video Music Awards in 1984, the Moon Man statue was a natural, and it became one of the most recognizable award trophies out there. So footage of the landing was actually famously used to create these uh, MTV statues, um, and uh, it actually served as their branding at the top and bottom of the hour um, identification during the cable channel's early years. MTV producers Alan Goodman and Fred Seibert used the public domain footage as a conceit um, uh, associating MTV with the most famous moment in world television history at the time. And that's honestly, like, genius. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone, you know, that was MTV. I mean, even now they still, like, input some of... Uh, the images and certain uh, certain advertisements for the MTV uh, world. Oh yeah, I mean, I think you can you can still find T-shirts and that sort of stuff all over the place, and they're kind of uh, marketed as as you know retro looking, but yeah, you still see the MTV Moonmen all the time. Um, and and this right. this one was a little bit interesting because uh, it wasn't something that was necessarily directly associated with. Apollo or the space program or, you know, the moon landing. It's, you know, it's not like, it's not like Tang or Pillsbury food sticks or anything like that. It was someone who saw the marketing potential in the moon landing and was able to uh, capitalize not only on that footage, but also capitalize on public domain footage, you know, to make it even better. Um, 
and so yeah, I mean, whoever the the marketing genius it was that behind, uh, I get uh, Alan Goodman and Fred Seibert. You know, I mean, that's bold move, but it works fantastic. Right, like the symbolism is just spot on. Absolutely. Oh yeah, I love it. Yeah, very few things more uh, iconic than you know mo- uh, moon landing symbolism. Right. Exactly. Um, so moving into TV shows and movies, uh, I'll let you take the folklore after this. So the TVs and shows, TV shows and movies, uh, Futurama has uh, made stints at the famous moon landing. Uh, Men in Black 3, Independence Day, which I love that movie. Um, the actual, if you go back to it, the opening scenes show an alien mothership passing low over the Apollo 11 landing site. The tidal forces of its uh, passing erases the famous foot, uh, book boot print, excuse me, left on the soft lunar service from Armstrong. Uh, kind of a great uh, introduction to, into the movie, and I remember it fondly. Oh, of course. Um, that's one of the greatest and, movies know, of all and, time. Right. I absolutely love it. Jeff Goldblum, <laughs> oh, so, so good. He is so oops, good. What do you mean, But uh, it, Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> what do you, yeah. Oh, my God, I love it. But, like, actually, in the beginning of Independence Day, I'm pretty sure they also uh, overlay the famous audio um, of the moon landing. I think they do, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you can see hints to it in Transformers Dark of the Moon. I'm guessing that uh, I've never seen it. I kind of lost track of the Transformers universe in the uh, cinematic world. Yeah, I was but, never. Uh, had I'm sure something. Never to do, followed it too well. Right. <laughs> Probably something to do with the moon. Um, Apollo <laughs> 13, which is actually kind of cool. One of the uh, beginning scenes is actually at Lovell's res- residence. Uh, him and his family is actually watching the Apollo the Apollo 11 landing, um, uh, and that has Tom Hanks in it. And uh, absolutely great movie as well. But I think it's pretty cool to kind of see the back end of how Lovell could have been up there, um, and then you see kind of how his passion even sparked just watching it. Uh, watching it occur. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, the Apollo 11 is used at the name of group of astronauts turned superhero in an Astro City comic book series. <laughs> Never heard of them, but uh, the Apollo 11 mission inspired a comic book series. See, that was something I was not even a little bit aware of. That's That cracks me, me up. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, I thought you'd enjoy that. I wanted to make sure I, I put that I just wonder what there. the premise is behind it. Do they have superpowers? Did they, like, get, like... They come in contact with like space radiation or something and superpowers. I don't know. I'm gonna have to look into that. I'm gonna. Right. I'm interested. Just head out to your local comic book store, ask for the Apollo 11, and hopefully they can find it for you. I'm pretty sure most people, unless they're like super hardcore comic guys, then uh, they're probably gonna look at me and, you know, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> What, you don't listen to Young Nostalgia? You never heard about this? <laughs> uh, yeah, that'd be a good chance for uh, a shameless shameless plug for the show. <clears throat> right, right. <laughs> so moving into kind of the, the folklore side of things, just a couple, couple points to touch on. Um, an urban legend suggests that they were being watched while on the moon and had seen alien vehicles while in space. This grew in popularity after the book Somebody Else is on the Moon was published. Aldrin did spot an unidentified object traveling relative to them in the late third day of the mission. Um, At age 76, Aldrin said in a television documentary, quote, There was something out there close enough to be observed, observed, 
and what could it be? Now, obviously, the three of us weren't going to blurt out, hey, Houston, we've got something moving alongside us and we don't know what it is, you know? We knew that those transmissions would be heard by all sorts of people and somebody might have demanded we turn back because of aliens or whatever reason is, unquote. Um, and that's kind of... That's kind of... Uh, been blown a little bit out of proportion. I think I, the whole idea of his comments here have been used out of context on multiple occasions. You know, you, you hear people all the time like Aldrin said this and he saw a UFO and there was an alien waving to him out of the window and, you know, uh, totally right. blown it out of context. He never says anything about what it was, what it, he thought it was. He just said, hey, there was something. Um, I remember, I do remember reading um, from a different source. He talked about how it might have been a, uh, oh man, I just lost the name of it. It was a pretty much a satellite sent up by the Soviets uh, around the same time. Um, right. I actually got, I pulled it up right here. Luna 15, okay. a spacecraft that the Soviet Union launched around the same time as the mission. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. <laughs> so, so it could have been, it could have been any number of things and it's been blown way out of, way out of proportion. So many conspiracy people to use that as uh, actual hard hitting ammunition that it's really not but you know could have seen something yeah right. but i don't know I, that's one of the things that kind of burns my biscuits a little bit because i you know i i've burned <laughs> uh because i've seen and read his quote before and and then when i hear people try to make that argument it's like no you're you're incorrect <laughs> <laughs> all right now this this episode's going to turn into a conspiracy episode <laughs> yeah we just we're we're gonna have to we need to set a schedule for those those are so much fun. They are. They're a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm sure we alienate a certain portion of the audience, but... Oh, my God. Whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, if no one wants to take this next one, I'm not really sure how appropriate this one is for our uh, young nostalgia audience. Oh, I think I think it'll be great. I actually... This is probably one of the ones I was looking so forward to talking about <laughs> to round out the episode. This is fantastic. <laughs> So there's a humor, there's a humorous urban legend that when Armstrong was a child, the wife of a neighbor named Gorski, when asked by her husband to perform oral sex, had ridiculed him by saying, "When the kid next door walks on the moon." And then decades later, whilst walking on the moon, Armstrong supposedly said, "Good luck, Mr. Gorski." <laughs> that was a that's a pretty good one. I think we were looking at two different sources for. Uh for some of the stuff we were we were talking about earlier and i i think i had seen that on a different uh a different source and it it cracked me up but i'm like ah maybe not and then i'm reading through the show prep while we're recording the show and i see nolan had put it down at the bottom like oh okay So a, l- a little bit of a backstory for it. Uh, in 1995, Armstrong first said he actually heard the story from a Cal- in California when comedian Buddy Hackett told yep. it as a joke. Yep. So um, maybe not necessarily true, but we'll leave it up to you because I think that's absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Um, who knows if Armstrong was out the window when uh, this Gorski's wife said that. So, <laughs> you know, absolutely great. I love it. I think we should just leave it at that because... 
That's amazing. Um, <laughs> thank you guys so we much for joining us here on Young Down. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Can we just get shirts that say "Good luck, Mr. Gorski"? Mm. Mm. <laughs> that would be so funny, and so few people would get it, but that would be fantastic. Right. Right. Young nostalgia. Good luck, Mr. Gorski. <laughs> yes. That's amazing. That's genius. We'll send out the link on our Facebook uh, page. Yeah. Look out yeah. for it. We got to make that happen. That would be thank, sweet. <laughs> thank you guys so much for joining us at Young Nostalgia again for episode 64, uh, talking about the uh, talking about and celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon landing coming up on July 20th with the first walks on July 21st. As always, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. We're there. Please, please leave us a review. And give us five stars if you enjoy us. Let us know what you like specifically um, about the show. And hopefully you're enjoying our little transition into a more broader format with a little bit more professional music and professional sound. Uh, You can find us on Anchor, our website there, as well as Facebook and Twitter. Uh, We update our feeds as regular as we possibly can, um, which is probably not as regular as we should. But that's okay. Thank you guys so much. (laughs) As always, it's a blast. Um, You can always send us an email at youngnostalgiapod at gmail.com for show suggestions as well as guests. Um, I think that's about all I can think of. Ben, anything else, big guy? Uh, No, but I think that was super fun. Uh, We definitely need to revisit maybe just the Apollo program in general in the future because I think, I mean, the space, we kind of, we talk about how Young Nostalgia is kind of based around retro pop culture, of course. Well, the space program in general is one of the biggest influencers on pop culture that I can think of. And so I think that would be a pretty fun, uh, potential series that we could do later on. Right. I'm with you. Absolutely. Um, I hope everyone had a wonderful and safe 4th of July. And as we always say here on young nostalgia, keep the bottles empty and the ashtrays full. We will talk to you next week. (laughs) 